This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fantasy Fight League. If you're looking to get your fantasy lineup set for this postseason, go to FantasyFightLeague.com, set your lineups, earn points based on how your wrestlers perform. And at the end of each month, so at the end of March, Fantasy Fight League will award prizes to the top 10. Get your team set today at FantasyFightLeague.com. Now let's get to the episode with Emma Randall. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. This episode's brought to you by Spartan Combat. Spartan Combat just signed Kylie Welker to a merch deal. You can buy a Kylie Welker t-shirt on the Spartan Combat website, spartancombat.com. Kylie Welker is one of the top junior women in the country, and she was the first to sign with the University of Iowa. So congrats to Spartan Combat on signing Kylie Welker. This episode is with Emma Randall coach at the New York City Regional Training Center where she coaches the undergraduate women's wrestlers who go to Columbia who then compete through the New York City Regional Training Center. Emma has been a coach at Beat the Streets, USA Wrestling, and she also owns Evolve Leadership and Performance Training. This lady knows a thing or two about developing young wrestlers. Fan of the Week goes to all of the folks who have given us reviews on Spotify lately. If you listen on Spotify, you can give the podcast a star rating. We're over 100, and the goal is to get to 1,000. So thank you to everyone who's gone on to Spotify and given us a rating. Without further ado, folks, let's get to this interview with Emma Randall. Emma Randall, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ryan. Absolutely. I wanted to start with... Uh, your transition from Colorado to New York, you were, uh, we're going to go over your whole career, but you were at USA Wrestling and saw some people win some medals and you go, is this it? And I love that. And I want to know why did you come to that and just talk us through that? Um, you know, like the Olympic movement is centered a lot around money. Um, people donate money to watch people win. And if you're not winning, um, there, there isn't donations. And so the U.S. Olympic Committee um, split sports into subfolders. Um, and so, like, we're in a 
folder with acrobat and, and tumbling sports and, and a few combats like boxing, but we're also tied with gymnastics. Um, diving is in there. So it's like a weird combination of sports. And then they base your medal potential for all those sports. How many medals is this category sport folio going to bring home? Um, and then they use that to calculate how much money they're going to put into your program. Um, and so your Money is also tied to like, what's your four-year plan? How are you going to get from where you are today to uh, the next gold medal? And if they believe in your plan and they believe in your talent pool, then they give more money. Um, but the moment that that athlete kind of graduates that situation and they're no longer a viable source of income, which is basically a donation from a company or an individual, um, is it is revenue to them, <laughs> then wow. you're the door and so you know i understand the transaction side of it it makes sense right that's how they get their money and their money is passed on to the different sports um but i'm a people person and i care about this greater picture and and so for me it's like well that investment was not just this dollar or just this gold medal this investment was like this human relationship that i spent six years building with with these female athletes and, and some of them longer because some of them were competitors when i was competing and so they were my friends um, and not that they weren't my friends when I was at USA Wrestling, but like it was a different kind of business model. Like I had to switch kind of like a separate uh, myself from being fully in that relationship because I know I have to be the one who's making hard decisions or confronting them and saying, hey, you're not meeting the standards. So we're going to take away some of your funding or um, you're going to have to move off campus for a little bit, even though you just had surgery and you're going to have to figure it out. Um, really? So I- <laughs> Wow. I enjoy those tough conversations. I still don't enjoy tough conversations, but here um, with Beat the Streets and and now with Columbia and the RTC, I don't have to have like those tough conversations where like I'm controlling every little thing in their life and their only source of income in the stream, right? Like I'm a piece of their puzzle. A lot of people who are here at Columbia um, love wrestling, but they're also at Columbia to get an amazing education. And the same thing at Beat the Streets. Yeah, I was empowering these athletes to chase their wrestling careers and goals, but it was a very holistic approach to like, um, what leadership skills can we teach you? How can I help you write college application essays to get you to that next level? And those are the things that I really, really enjoy is like the development of the whole person. Yeah. And, and just going back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, I trust you've seen the movie Weight of Gold. you haven't oh my lord you it's right up your alley it's about all these olympians and and they're it's not about any one olympian but they're talking about how like the mental health during and after the olympics and how you are a product and how they would lose funding you know because the new person's coming in so yeah wow no it's we were i started in 2012 we launched a development program um with all camps and international tours our goal was to make sure that every uh, young athlete in the pipeline had international experience so when they made the stage and made the team as a senior athlete they had experience and getting people to buy into that was the craziest thing like the olympic movement is centered around olympic success and you would think they would be like oh that's a great idea let's do that they're like no that's too much money you guys go fundraise it you guys find a way to win because we only care about winning right now we don't care about setting ourselves up for success down the road um and wow it, right like it doesn't matter if you're 14, 15, 16, <laughs> they, they care about who's winning those medals at 18, 19, 20. And then when it's time to retire at 24, 25, we'll see you later. Here's a, here's a link to an online um, classroom that's going to teach you how to build a resume and get a job, which it's too late. Like these women and men have been living on the Olympic training center campus all their lives. They haven't had a job. Their rent's been paid. Their stipend is 
directly deposited into their account, most of them make less than the amount of money necessary to pay taxes, right? Only our top level women and men are really getting paid on such a high level that they're paying taxes. That's crazy too. You know, they're, they have resume experience. They don't have the experience. We're, we're setting people up to go out into the world at 25 to 30 and saying, good luck out there. <laughs> and they're not. Wow. So like after an Olympics, like we just had happen, Rich Bender goes into a meeting with all the other heads of sports and they're in there fighting for dollars. Is that what it basically what it comes down to? It comes down to uh, your four-year plan. Uh, you submit your budget and your four-year plan and you say, how are you going to develop these people? Um, for the women's freestyle team, it's always first year of the quad is filling the backpack. And that's really like technique based. Everybody needs to understand all the positions. Year two and three are really oriented to like gathering experiences. How much time can we spend overseas with um, tours and also with training camps and competitions and feeling our opponents. And then three and four of the year three and four of the quad, it starts to really like narrow our focus. Are we going to the right tournaments to face the right competition? competitors are we uh, honing our skills are we scoring from our offense is there a specific position in which we need to continue to work and develop uh, and like grow and really like narrowing it and that's kind of been the same focus since Terry took over in 2002 and I think the investment is paying off as you can see like our women are having a ton of success um, but it's also kind of scary right like what if the USOC was just like all right we're tired of that plan what are you going to do that's completely different to shake the game up, uh, to move from second to first or third to second? Um, and that that's really hard, too, because it's a pipeline. Uh, yeah. A change like that is going to offset within our development system as well. Pretty crazy that Terry Steiner is the only person to have that job <laughs> in the history of that job. Crazy. It is crazy. He's a good dude. I, uh, I can't thank him enough for everything he's done in my life. And I also know there's so many women who feel the same way. Um, I think he's a, he's a brilliant guy to make it work um, for going on 20 years. I'm yeah. sure he'll that that's where his gray hair came from, but. I can't imagine the politics are involved in, in that kind of a job. And, you know, you grew up in Ohio, brother wrestled, you know, you're out there scrapping, you wrestle and you go to Lock Haven, and back then it was a club? It was a club. Um, there were about eight women on the club team when I joined. Uh, we had a full-time coach, but he was also the strength conditioning coach for all the other programs. Um, and he did everything in his power to make things happen for us, You know, whether it was finding a summer housing, whether it was fighting for us to have housing during the winter breaks so that we could continue to train and get ready for events. Uh, he took us overseas. He took us to Canada regularly. Um, wow. He, he, he was the best. <laughs> and so you parlayed that into an internship at USA Wrestling, right? It did. It did. Um, Carl Poff was my academic advisor. Um, he was the men's head coach at Lock Haven prior to me becoming a student there. And uh, I had a great GPA and I had an internship lined up with the New York Athletic Club. I thought my life is set. I'm going to conquer the world. And then the internship fell apart. I'm crying with Coach Pop. And he's like, let's just make a list, Emma. We started listing the people in, that I've interacted with in the sport. And he's like, all right, let's start at the top. Who's the most influential person on this list? And we called Terry. And by chance, he was in the office. Um, he was like, let me see what I can do. And within a month, I was out in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center working. So it was uh, perfect, uh, amazing time. <laughs> wow. I can't even, like, what kind of evolution did you see 
in women's wrestling from when you got there to where we're at now? It's crazy. Uh, the amount of women who are like able to train and compete at such a high level. Uh, we used to have a ton of resident beds, about 20 at the Olympic Training Center. And by the time I left, it dwindled to about 12. Uh, it's continued to decrease. But what you see is there's actually more women at the senior level. And that's because the RTTs kind of facilitated that high level training continuation of the sport beyond uh, your college years and your immediate graduation. Uh, so that's been a big piece the RTCs have contributed. Um, at the development level, there's a ton, <laughs> a ton of talent, just masses of women. And, and obviously the shift with state sanctioning and, and um, merging sports status for NCAA has created more opportunities. Um, I think the talent level is bigger. I think you see more coaches who are accepting of it um, and finding ways to let women on their team or finding ways to make them feel more included. Um, you know, it's not perfect, but life never is. So I think there's been tremendous growth, but there's also a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously everyone's talking this year, Iowa, big news. Um, surprising news though, you know, the, the blade sisters, uh, out of Chicago, I'm in Chicago. They, and I know you're a college coach. If you can't talk, we can, we can cancel this, but, um, they go to Arizona state. There's no program there. They're going to do the club scene, but your ladies are doing the, the club scene. Do you think that's a better route or should we be pushing for schools to, to give uh, a full sanctioning like to the NCA and joining that NCA body? I would love to be a varsity sport. However, that is not in my pay grade of decision-making. Um, what you see with most of the development of college programs for women are they're centered around programs that are enrollment driven schools. Um, Columbia has 60,000 applicants every year with a three point five, whatever acceptance rate, <laughs> you know, Arizona State is one of the largest campuses uh, in student bodies in the entire country. Uh, I can't even imagine how many applications they get, right? So they're not driven to add a sport just to add a sport. The money's already there. Um, those people are already going to apply. And so in those kinds of situations to inspire the administration, you have to go the club route. Um, and then it's just figuring out like, what do they want to see? Do they want to see the development of the community within the sport? How many girls can I get to come here? Um, the success of a few handful of athletes, imagine how much support, uh, how much success we would have if they had support. Um, some of them are just looking for like, how long can you really stay in existence? Um, and so each college is kind of looking for something different, but I do think I'm, I'm not going to let not being a varsity sport stop me from going where I want to go to pursue my goals. Um, yeah. So if they really love Phoenix and they love Tempe and, and they want to work with Perry and Zeke, that, that's awesome, right? They'll find a way to do it, whether it's through the club, whether it's working with the men's program, whether it's working with the RTC. Um, I think they have a ton of support. They did a good job of choosing. Uh, when I think of ASU, I think of a network of support with the Martores, um, with the men's program, with the Sunkissed Kids. Um, with Angel Cejudo and his club, and then you have the RTC on top of it. So I, I, it makes sense to me, and I think that's kind of the same thing here at Columbia. We have Beat the Streets. We have access to high school partners. We have the men's program if we want to get in here and have a grind. We have the RTC if we need experience and we want to change our feel and flow. Um, and I think where you're seeing those success and people who are going outside of the box, they're going to places that have actual ecosystems of wrestling, not just um, yeah. one. East where you can only train here, but like 
okay, maybe the men's program is training this week or they're off. So I'm going to go over here to this club and take advantage of those partners, learn from a different coach. I'm going to spend my summer over here at the RTC and really collect my time with Kendall and Valentin. Um, and really just like, how, how do I get better? It's by utilizing my resources to the best of my abilities. And I think it's a good fit. It's obviously non-traditional and hopefully down the road, it inspires those administrators to say like, imagine what would happen if I gave them next level of support. Yeah. It's interesting because you what you were alluding to earlier is some of the programs that have added men's and women's wrestling, they need applicants. And so the pitch is, hey, uh, wrestling is a low budget sport and, you know, we can do a lot of meets and tournaments by traveling via van. And so they're saying, hey, if we create a, a wrestling team for men or women, it's going to drive more people to the school. That's what it comes down to. Right. Uh, so like a women's travel schedule like this doesn't include scholarships or coaches salary right but you could get away with like a seventy thousand dollar a year budget how much for most of those schools those schools are usually like 20 to thirty thousand mm-hmm. with the kids they've paid for the season and those teams have 20 to 30 women or men right? and you're, the school's like i don't care i'll, I'll pay a hundred thousand for a wrestling room i'll pay another hundred thousand for two coaches um and now let me throw some scholarships in the mix and and let's get after it let's go make some money <laughs> It, it makes sense. It's yeah. a transaction, right? But, and, um, but so at a school like where you're at, Columbia, one of the great academic institutions in the world, like you said, they have 60,000 applicants, so they don't need uh, wrestling to bring in applicants. So when you look at your team, um, what what's the uh, experience level? Have all the ladies wrestled before? Or is this, I'm just, I have no idea. I'm, I'm just generally curious on what that looks like. Or is this, these are experienced girls who have been wrestling their whole lives. It's, it's a real mix. Uh, when I started here in July, we had four women who were returning club members. Um, three of them had um, elite experience, whether it's wrestling uh, California state finals or wrestling for cadet world teams uh, or going to sim. And so we were like, all right, well, we just need to recruit. We need to get out there. So we just beat the pavement. Uh, there was a club fair and we created just like this funnel. And we caught the people coming through. We caught the people coming out. We had the men's team out there. We had the men's coaches. We had candy. We had the signs. Um, you know, we had every reason. We, like, kind of laid out, like, girls are going to say, no, I'm too small. I'm not strong enough. I don't like uh, combative sports, right? And so we had an answer for each of them. You're too small? Well, look at uh, question Kathy, a.k.a. Caitlin Walker. She's uh, 100 pounds. Oh, uh, you, you feel like you're not too fast? Talia, talk about how you've learned how to move your feet in and work through the agility ladder or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and so we've just kind of created that, that culture where everyone is welcome. We had 275 women, uh, sign up for more information. We had about 40 who stopped by our pizza party. We wrestled outside and then had a pizza party. And then we had ended the semester with 32 women who had paid to be members of our club. Um, and so the experience level ranges from, girls who uh, Maya was just ranked in the top 10 at the senior rankings. And then we have girls who literally had their first day last week because every single day I'm encouraging the girls to bring their friends because I need people. Um, wow. And so it's like some of them have wrestling experience. Some of them have jujitsu. Some of them have played other sports. Some of them um, are first time athletes. Some of them are elite. And so it's kind of like, okay, if you're brand new, then let's put you with somebody who's brand new. Let's play games. Let's focus on simplified techniques. Uh, you're an athlete. Let's figure out how we can start to pair you up with somebody a little bit better. How do we create opportunities for you to 
um, step outside of our wrestling room and go wrestle. So we do a lot of scrimmages. Um, so I just invite women from the region to come in. I time matches. They're super informal, but now my girl feels like she's wrestled her first match and she's wrestled somebody who's, um, maybe newer to the sport too, or just somebody different and slowly stepping outside of our comfort zone. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I took a couple of our new girls to their very first ever competition. Uh, we flew to South Carolina. We wrestled at Limestone. Um, it was definitely scary. There was supposed to be a novice division. And the night before, I was told there wasn't a novice division. So I didn't tell them. Uh, so, <laughs> turn off, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, make them not sleep tonight. So <laughs> it's like. How'd it go? Uh, you know, it was tough. We took some some losses, but at the same time, we scored points. Uh, yeah. Two of them scored takedowns. One of them scored a push-out point. And I tell you what, I was the loudest for them in those small wins because that's amazing, right? Like, in your first competition, you're wrestling college people who you were told didn't have any experience, but that's a lie. Go out there <laughs> and do your best. You know, I, I, I loved it. And then at the end of it, uh, we were sitting down. We had a team dinner. I'm like, so tell me your thoughts. Where, where are we? And they're like, I'm in. I want more. I want to learn more. I want to, I want to work this summer. I'll stay here. I'll train. I want to be at this level of the rest of these girls. And so, you know, like that's, that's incredible. And I don't think it's too late to start wrestling. Right. Randy Miller was a high school senior when she started wrestling, turned out to be an Olympic bronze medalist. Um, it's just a matter of how you use your time, how you sell the sport, how you teach passion. Uh, they don't need to know everything, but they should learn a snatch single. They should learn how to like down block and go behind pretty simple skills, but we can win matches <laughs> by literally never touching any, by <laughs> capitalizing right. simple points and, and, you know, just making the sport fun. And that's what it is. That's what I love. Uh, and I love seeing them like fall in love with it too. That's amazing. And moving forward, will you, will your uh, schedule be the traditional November through March, or are you going to do more of like the freestyle schedule where you're starting in January and running through the summer? Uh, we kind of do a mixture this past year. Um, we did mostly scrimmages in the fall. Uh, we were going to do a couple opens, but because we're a club, we had trouble getting in um, with COVID restrictions. Um, and then this spring we did more college opens and we'll do the U S open, the age group nationals and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm thinking that we'll probably mirror that schedule just because it becomes a long year. If you're wrestling and competing every single month, all, all year round. Um, but we'll, we'll do take advantage of, of the opens and, and the USA wrestling events. Yeah. Hosting those scrimmages literally costs zero money and we get to wrestle. <laughs> There's four colleges within two hour drive from here. Um, and so getting those partners and getting those high school women where, you know, getting ready for Fargo is just another opportunity for us to feel people to build our network, uh, and yeah, it's on it. Yeah. The camaraderie, the team must feel knowing that they're kind of all forging through this together for the, you know, not necessarily the first time competing, but doing it at Columbia has got to be really cool to see. Yeah. They're very proud. Um, I think that's one of the coolest things is like after practice, they go eat dinner together. Um, they go to basketball games wrestling matches they hang out all the time and and that's awesome right like one of my favorite parts of college were like my teammates and I loved spending time with them uh, and it made me feel like Lock Haven was a home and I hope that they feel Columbia's a home you know and and that this wrestling room always has their back whether it's their first year or or four years down the road when they're graduating and they feel like you know I am a wrestler we had the conversation the other day at what point do you become a wrestler? Is it day one? 
uh, when do you earn your stripes? Is it after your first competition? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you guys paid to be part of this program. You're so brave. I am 31. And do you think I want to sign up for a rec league sport so people can make fun of me? No, like, like so brave. You're going out, you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, learning a new sport, like challenging yourself to be physical. That that's really cool. I, I don't care what anyone says. You're a fucking wrestler. Right? Absolutely. Like, like hundred percent or anything to me like you're in here working you chose to be here this is a club sport so you could come once a week you could come once a month and i would never say anything but these women are showing up day in and day in and day in and they're asking for more so awesome on top of juggling the academic workload which the brainiacs that are going to columbia i mean it's uh pretty impressive it is intense they're when they talk about their homework i i'm like okay (laughs) <laughs> and you're someone who's who's really taken a you know looking at your degree sports psych and in the the company you started evolve leadership and performance training you take an interest in not just the physical training but also some of the mental um what are some things you you apply there in terms of like different coaching methodologies that that maybe other coaches aren't aware of that that you've seen work really well Yeah, I I think a big piece of it is just like incorporating those skills into everyday practice. Um, A big thing that I believe in that my time at Beat the Streets really taught me was like self-determination theory, uh, autonomy, competence, and relatedness determines whether your athlete's going to come back. So do they feel connected to the community? That's relatedness. Do they feel competent? Are you teaching things that are at their skill level or just above, or are you teaching things that they'll never get? Are they getting obliterated by partners in the the practice? Are you taking care to make sure that they're seeing success? Um, And then what's self-determination theory? Um, it's, it's a psychology uh, theory, but it's basically like, why do people continue to show up? Uh, what increases motivation makes them resilient to show up, even though they've lost. Right. And so are you building autonomy into practice? Is there some sort of decision-making, um, where I'm like, Hey, instead of saying, let's do six minutes of single legs, I'm going to say, do six minutes of your favorite attack to your, uh, your favorite setup to your best attack. So they're making choices uh, for your warm up. You can either do this or this for the cool down. You can do this or this. So there's choice um, for, and even with live, uh, some, sometimes I just tell them it's their choice if they want to drill or if they want to go live. Um, and then like the competence is like utilizing the long-term athlete development model. So even though they're uh, in their twenties or, or their late teens, I'm not assuming that they already know how to do a forward roll. I'm not assuming that they already know how to do a back handspring or, or all these different like techniques. I'm just, wherever you are, how do I get you to the next level, whatever that next level is. And I think that's mostly, uh, if you think about gymnastics, they don't throw you on something day one and tell you to go ahead and do this entire routine on the balance beam. They start with like a piece of tape on the line, right? Uh, on the ground and you're doing your techniques and, and piecing together your movements. And then you move to a bar that's like two inches off the ground. And then you move to one that's like a foot off the ground, right? And so I think um, to me, competence is making sure that we're starting at the ground floor. We're building those techniques and scaffolding skills and teaching it in the form of games so that it's fun. Um, and that they always feel like they're learning and getting better instead of like, okay, let's run the pipe on day two of your wrestling career. Now, uh, work on something else crazy. Like if they're not in a position to succeed, like think about this. If you started a new instrument, would you perform it on your podcast? Gosh, no, heck on no. Day one. Right. No, never. you wouldn't. Why would we do that to other people? 
we I just spent you know so much time and effort outside trying to get the girls into the wrestling room why would I show them something that they suck at and then they feel like they can't come back they they are talented and they will be talented and in successful, but I have to keep them here for a uh, amount of time, right? And so that's another piece of self-determination theory. And then the last one is, is just the relatedness community building, whether it's warming up with a game where they have time to sit and talk to the person next to them. We play a lot of that slapback uh, tag where you're like literally sitting on the ground waiting. Um, whether it's before we, before we go live, we shake hands and we always have to tell each other something funny about ourselves or like what something uh, that happened today in my life. Um, and then at the end of practice, we usually bring it down with like, what's one challenge I'm facing? And you tell that to the person standing next to you or the person standing across from you, or you find the person with the same shoes as you. And so it takes two minutes to literally like help this person offload their struggle or share a joy or like to feel connected to another person. And that makes them want to come back. So if I can build in choice, if I can make them feel like they're successful, at least one or two things in practice. I can make them feel connected to the community here, then they're going to come back. And so that's a big piece of every single practice. Do we have those three pieces? Wow. Uh, just be like performing under pressure. There's so many ways that you can build pressure um, and you can build decision-making because uh, right when we walk out on the map, we typically go into fight or flight and our ability to rationally think through and behave and like decide what's the best technique for me um, in this moment, what's my opponent giving me? And so we, we might do drilling where my partner is giving me option one or option two, and I have to decide based on their reaction, what am I going to do? So I'm building those habits um, and starting to understand the visual cues, the physical cues uh, of my opponent so I can decide how best to score. Um, and then you start to add pressure by adding intensity, by taking away things. So now we have to start in the zone. You have to defend in this small amount of space or there's a punishment or a reward for like succeeding in these kinds of positions. Or maybe I'm going to stop practice. I'm going to have you demonstrate this technique in front of your peers. So now there's like a little bit of added uh, fear. Somebody's watching me. Right. Or maybe I just get on my camera <laughs> on my phone and just that little piece but like that clip doesn't have to go on the Internet. Right. But they don't know that. So there's like a little bit of fear. Um, and so triggering those things and teaching decision-making under pressure. And then after the rep or after the go, asking them what they saw, what they felt um, and helping them kind of determine those kinds of things and rationally think through it. I think that that's another piece, right? Of like dealing with anxiety, learning how to think under pressure, learning to focus on the cues and tune out the rest of those pieces. Uh, and even just like as simple as breathing as we're sprawling i'm taking my leg back i'm breathing taking my leg back i'm breathing i'm not holding my breath trying to tense and uh you know just like those little things i think the more they're incorporated even though they're not like hey this is a full practice focused on your confidence um they're important right i can start building their confidence and their self talk by the things that i say when they're doing their drills uh, I can read and change their energy based on the things that I say and the energy that I present back out to them and ask them to mirror it back to me. Yeah, are- no, that that is to me very fascinating. I just want to go deeper on a couple of things. I love how you, with the pressure, you're you're kind of introducing it at small increments over time versus just throwing them into the lion's den. <laughs> well, that's also scary, right? Like, I don't need them to like feel completely scared, right? If too much of a change causes like an extreme reaction. It's the same way when we go on a diet. If I cut um, my, if I go from eating 2000 calories a day to a thousand calorie days, my, my body is going to like start to shut down. It's going to start to panic. I'm going to feel like I'm not getting what I need. But if I were to cut just a hundred calories out, I probably wouldn't notice. 
Um, and so can I start to add those incremental gains of, of pressure? Can I add a little bit to the stakes? Can I add a little resistance that are gonna make you kind of think twice about what you're doing? And it still is, right? Like it might not exactly replicate competition, but it's close. And even if it's just public speaking in front of your peers, that's, that's another way to build pressure uh, in practice. Can you think clearly? Can you come up with things to say? Can you be quick on your feet? Can you relax and embrace the moment even when you mess up? Can you remember to breathe? And, and just finding creative ways to practice those skills and incorporate them. And where do athletes sing positive affirmations of themselves? Where does that fit into your philosophy? Does that have a place? I think affirmations are so powerful, <laughs> so powerful. Um, verbal persuasion is actually the second strongest form of confidence. Right. And so verbal persuasion can come from you. Maybe it's you giving me positive feedback and, and affirmations, but it can also come from me internally. And it's strongest when it's from me. And so, um, you know, I'm a big thing within. Have you read Positive Intelligence? Um, it's like this positive quotient. And it's like if you can spend 75 percent of your time building yourself up, adding positive meaning to your life, um, finding value in the things that you're doing you're going to be in a positive mindset that's going to increase your resiliency, that's going to increase uh, your ability to think rationally, um, to stay focused on the present moment instead of generalizing it and turning into like a negative vortex. And so a lot of that is like, yeah, I believe in positive affirmations, but what makes me feel more strongly is like, are you doing it enough that 75% of your day is filled with good mm. instead of yourself down, instead of tearing those other people around you down, instead of judging those little things. Um, and I think those, those are super important, right? And if I'm seeing somebody who three days in a row just looks miserable, I'm, I'm going to say something about it. Like, what are you manifesting right now? Are you bringing joy and happiness and energy into your life or, or are you feeling bad? And I say the same thing when they're on a weight cut. Um, and maybe it's like just an hour before weigh-ins and they're, they're pretending that they're miserable. But yeah, you feel miserable. You're, you're like body language is poor. You're, you're telling yourself how awful this is. Like, instead of telling yourself how excited you are for this competition, this is what you've been waiting for. We didn't get to wrestle that first semester and, and compete. You know what? We are, we're here now. This is it. This is what you wanted. You chose this. You worked hard for this. Now we know that you're ready to compete and, and really finding the, the highs in those moments and reframing. I think it's easy to say one phrase and have one affirmation, but can you continue that throughout the day? Can you notice yourself judging yourself or judging others and recognize that like this isn't helpful what is it really doing it's making me not appreciate uh the person in front of me it's making me not appreciate the circumstance and all the good things that i have or, or even appreciate myself yeah and and i'm sure your philosophy on this next question i'm guessing i can guess your answer but what if you have someone that says i'm just i'm just a pessimist and uh you probably believe people can change right I do believe people can change. Imagine if you never learned another like uh, piece of information, another friend, another food, and anything new for the rest of your life. Life would be so boring. Um, imagine if you stopped learning the day you decided to walk <laughs> and you were just right. those toddler faces. Uh, I think it's a choice in the things that we choose in our life, we bring into it. And so if I want to choose happiness, if I want to choose joy, if I want to choose energy, then I'll find a way to get there. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that it's always perfect, but am I evoking what I want out of my life every day? I don't want to feel like I'm a backseat driver and then I'm mm -hmm. kind of responding 
I want to feel like my I'm in control of my reaction and, and I'm dictating. Uh, what's his name? Uh, from Ohio State. He was at Florida first. Uh, Urban Meyer? Yes. His uh, event plus um, reaction equals outcome, right? Mm. The piece that I'm responsible for is my reaction. Am I reacting and responding in the correct way? And, and um, yeah. Think- that's something that we all could work on. You know, I have an athlete that I struggle with and I struggle with coaching this athlete because the amount of negativity and the self-judgment that this person's putting on themselves. And it makes me like, what are we doing? Like you're every time that we're getting closer to the end result, you're judging yourself more or you're second guessing this. Um, it's a lot easier just to be it and accept in this moment. I don't have to be perfect, but I am getting better. I don't have to be perfect, but my effort still needs to be high and I'm not going to uh, judge myself for every failed rep. Yeah. Just being able to track progress daily though, I get, it's gotta be a big piece of it, right? The whole philosophy of just a daily improvement, you know, even if you're not getting the external results, if you can see some progress, that's gotta be a big, a uh, big boost there. It is huge. It's huge. If you can, can really be disciplined and, and think about like what's, step one, step two, step three for how I'm going to track this improvement. Is it just, I'm going to track that I did a hundred reps every week on just this one technique. Is it uh, that I'm going to film myself doing those reps? Is it that I'm going to film myself sparring in those reps or I'm going to, uh, you know, give myself different circumstances to really like view that progress. But I don't think many people do. Even if I were to say, use your training journal, you would write down um, the things that you worked on, the things that uh, maybe upset you. Right. But it's hard for me to visually remind myself where I was last year, where I was last month. And so I would encourage you guys to film yourselves. Right. And look at the visual technique and the decision making and maybe the strength or even just awareness. Right. And, and giving yourself credit for those things. Um, it only takes the choice of saying, I'm going to point out only the positives from this. Hmm. You know, um, we, we typically look for the, the negatives or the criticism and the judgment of, of what do I need to do better? How could this be better all the time? When really it's like, okay, well, my first step was in the right direction here. I, I started to stuff the head. Maybe I could have done a little bit better job of, of keeping my weight on my opponent. But you know what? From the clip that I did last week, my hips were engaged. And that's awesome. I, I didn't have um, the right pressure on my body here. And, and looking at those things, I think that's hard though. It's really hard. Really hard. And especially man. in a sport like this where you're going for years. You know, going for a decade and you're like, I I just don't think I'm seeing progress because my results aren't there, but they are there. And even like, even some of the best athletes in the world, I'm thinking UFC fighters, a lot of wrestlers can learn jujitsu and become jujitsu black belts. I don't know any jujitsu black belts that have had the dedication and time to become a division one college wrestler, maybe George St. Pierre, but like, so like you're talking about one of the hardest sports to track progress in, and it takes 10, 15 years, you know? Yeah, it takes a lot of time and it's an open sport. Um, like I can't control your reactions. And even if I wrestled you and then I wrestled 10 other people, I'd probably get 10 different feels And for me to like judge how my technique worked on you versus how my technique worked on this person versus how my technique worked on this person. When we were in a match with a certain situation, <laughs> the score was going, the time was going, the crowd was there. Like, that's, that's a lot. You know, there's a lot of variables in our sport that make it hard to judge. You got to put your blinders on. You yeah. got to progress, whether 
how, however you're going to market. Is it going to be a matter of reps? Is it going to be the amount of times that I got to it in a match? Is it going to be the amount of times that I scored with it over the period of the year? But yeah, you got to, and you can't be dissuaded by the little things. Just hearing you talk, it makes me excited where you're at, but it also makes me so sad that you're not with those those New York, uh, Beat the Streets New York ladies anymore, the high school, the middle school, who really have nothing. They have never heard any positive reinforcement like this. And just a little bit of work I've done with Beat the Streets Chicago, and uh, every time you walk away, you, you know, just their stories resonate with you. You know, someone's homeless or their mom is a, uh, is a, is a prostitute to be totally honest with you. That was a story that I'll never forget. Did you have those kind of experiences when you were at beat the streets, New York with, with Brendan and those guys? Yeah. Beat the streets, New York was like, you are a wrestling coach and, and, you know, you're focused on like the holistic piece of, of, um, program but it's also like I was never a trained social worker and that is something that you like walk into the room and immediately it like it's you like when someone says I don't know what to do in this situation well I don't know what to do in this situation either but I'm gonna remain calm I'm gonna hold it together I'm gonna comfort you and I'm gonna tell you that we're gonna find a solution together and then I've got to go check what are the online resources what should I do in this kind of situation what should I do um can I help what resources are available and and that's hard. That's really hard. I think uh, one of the toughest jobs I've ever done, and and those athletes did need support. They needed somebody constant in their life. Doesn't mean that every beat the streets athlete is struggling and having those kinds of problems, but the stable family and the stable home is is so essential. And just having someone who's there who cares about you and sees you every day and checks in is is a huge piece. Um, and then just the community of like the friendship within your school, within your beat the streets program and, and making sure that that system of support exists. And it does make me sad. It makes me really sad. That was the hardest part of changing jobs was like, I really feel like beat the streets is important. Oh man. I still volunteer. I make sure that our girls volunteer. We've been at like four or five events so far, just like dropping in and, and showing up, but it's hard. It's, it's super hard. And it's still hard too, because even though I'm not meeting the younger women uh, on a same kind of basis, I still have all the alums. Uh, and so it's like text messages before nationals, text messages before regionals, maybe phone calls when things get hard. Maybe it's a phone call from a girl who chose not to wrestle, but now she's struggling with being in a rural area that doesn't have a very diverse population. And she's feeling uh, not included. Right. Or, or even just like, starting to recognize the small slights of racism that exists in those situations. And so you're trying to like still continue those relationships and take care of them. And I'm still Googling, trying to, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, let's look at like what scholarships are available for this. Let's figure out if we can find you a part-time job. Let's find out if we can uh, work with this coach to find a middle ground where you're both happy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's like, it's a never ending thing. And it's a reminder that what you do is important and that those people, you've meant something in their life if they're going to call you a year's gone by, two years gone by, three years, even some of them, right? Like, and, and staying engaged. Oh, I mean, 100%. And I think it's, you are part of their life forever. I mean, we can all remember those coaches that made an impact on us. And, you know, the folks that you're talking about, you know, they're, they probably need those mentors and role models even more so than, than, than any of us did. Um, I wanted to ask you, just as we kind of, um, excuse me, shift. And when you look at just the overall kind of growth of, of, of women's wrestling, what can each and every one of us be doing 
to just to, to keep it going. I mean, the future of college wrestling is, is women's wrestling and, uh, you know, the men's and women's is hand in hand. So what have you seen work really well? What have you seen not work well in terms of just fans who want to help? Yeah, I think growing the sport is uh, kind of just tied to our, our ability to care. <laughs> my ability to care by liking and subscribing to things online, my ability to care when somebody's in the room, uh, whether it's a first-time female, a it's her 100th day, it's her 10th year, right? Like, am I saying hi? Am I acknowledging her? Like, those small gestures go a long way, just of, like, how do I include them in this atmosphere? Maybe she's dropping in on a men's practice. Maybe I'm dropping in because I need to do some weight management on the side of her practice. But, like, getting to know each other and caring about each other and, and creating that family, I think, is a huge piece. Um, I think making sure that there's equal opportunities is another one, right? Uh, I didn't know that there was women's nationals or all women's events since I was a sophomore in high school. Wow. Um, there's, there's been a women's uh, world championships, 1989, right? But the word didn't get out because people don't talk about those things. People don't attend those things. And, and we don't take our girls to those events. Um, I think there was a podcast and maybe it was Andrea Yamamoto. I don't remember, but um they were talking about the way women struggle to uh, pre-register for, for state championship events and regional events. And they were saying it's because the men's coaches aren't sure if they're going to bring the women to those events until the last minute, because they're waiting to see if there's a men's option during that time that they need to take priority because six guys oh. and woman. Right. And so I think, being aware going into the season, I'm looking for opportunities. What are your championship opportunities as a female and as a high school coach or as a youth coach, right? Am I aware that those things exist? Am I taking the extra five minutes to Google that when I'm Googling uh, middle school states or <laughs> whatever it may be, but like, it, it's really not that hard with the internet, right? Like to make sure that there's equal opportunity. And, and even if that's having a first year practice that's accessible to all novice athletes maybe it's having a girls only practice every sunday um but what are you doing the small ways that you're creating access and opportunities for these people to join sport are you creating access and opportunities for those people to continue to pursue it um, and then the same thing with like when they're graduating high school it doesn't take that much for you to look up a few different coaches and say hey i think this is a good program this is a good fit for you uh, if you go to USA Wrestling's website, there's literally a list of all the colleges. Uh, Transition Wrestling has it too, and it has all the coaches' information and their contact information. So, like, okay, maybe you don't want to leave the state, so I just searched the state. Here's four that are in your state. It's not hard. I like, right. I, it's a simple thing of, like, caring. Do I care enough to acknowledge you? Do I care enough to spend five extra minutes to find a way for you to continue. Maybe I just need to be okay with as a coach that I'm not going to be in everyone's corner every single weekend. Maybe this weekend I'm going with the women here and the men are doing this. Mm -hmm. Okay. They also need to learn that they don't need you to win. They're successful because of themselves and their own hard work. And they're comfortable with other people leading them and other voices around them. Um, and so it's just recognizing it. Basic stuff, but it's the basics, right? That that re that repeatedly, you know, are going to make a difference. And the other thing that you've talked about before that you did at Beat the Streets is a quote unquote gym takeover, where you'd go in with the elementary schools. I think that's so awesome because any any school could do that, not just Beat the Streets. Could you tell us what that was and kind of how you structured it? 
yeah, in the beginning when I first came here, uh, we would go to schools and there's only like 150 schools in New York City that have wrestling out of like 5,000 different high schools. But we would go and we would take over the gym class from the first period to the end of the day, next day, go to the next school, <laughs> the next school. I'm like, this is a marathon. I am exhausted all the time. Wow. I don't know if this is working. You know, we weren't taking any stats of like how many people we were showing the sport to. We weren't taking any stats on how many people were signing up for the teams afterwards. And so we started, we partnered with the U.S. Wrestling Foundation and they gave us money to hire alumni, which made my life so much easier. And, and they would go to different schools and we would track how many people were in a gym class each day, how many periods was the wrestling shown. Uh, and then at the season, how many people were like joining. Um, and so we showed like almost 10,000 people the sport of wrestling and like, wow. it was crazy. We literally, first of all, New York City classes are crazy because there's like a hundred people in class. So whatever. Really? <laughs> it was, their gym classes are the worst. Um, are they even actual gyms? Like in the traditional sense of the word, like a hardwood some, some floor? Yeah, but they would be like, there's three classes going on at once. Here's two basketballs and then let's see what happens. Most people are just sitting in the stands, not doing anything, not anything um but the practice the structure was at the beginning of the day our alumni and our staff ran everything and as the day progressed on the coaches took over and then the athletes took over that were specifically at that school and so first periods the first like intro would just be like here's wrestling here's uh who i am here's how wrestling's changed my life um so like maybe i would talk about traveling the world and my education, whereas Penn would talk about his time at Columbia as a Columbia wrestler and also how wrestling has helped him um, make a lot of friends. And then Barry would talk about why he loves wrestling and how it helped him become uh, a coach and a full-time educator. And so we would talk about the different things, but we would kind of pigeonhole who's talking about what, that way we can connect with more people. And then we would say real briefly, here's the rules. The goal is I got to put somebody on their back I score points every time I get them closer to their back. <laughs> uh, that's all you need to know, really. Yeah. Stay in it. <laughs> um, and so then we put them up in their feet. Simple games, knee tag. Um, maybe I have a wrist, you have a wrist. And our job is to uh, get your hand to touch the ground. Maybe our job is to get two hands around the leg. Maybe my job is to get behind you. Um, then we teach a, a drag or a duck under. Um, and then play some more games. <laughs> we might, if the if the room's small or if they're feeling high energy, we might do like some knee tag games where we highlight a couple couples and they stand out in front and they play knee tag against each other um, while the rest of the room kind of like chants and claps. Or we might have a couple kids learn how to do an arm throw and they'll throw a pin or myself. Um, we'll show a couple moves. I'll say, uh, here's how you do a double leg and I'll pick up pin, <laughs> which pins like 150 pounds. And I'm like, I'm gonna, he jumps. I pick them up, I slam them down. The kids go, ooh, uh, <laughs> this is awesome, <laughs> right? And so we do that every period. And at the period, we say, here is a uniform. You can wear shorts and a T-shirt. Here's, here's how it's displayed. Uh, shoes, we pay for your shoes. You don't have to worry about that. Here's headgear. We pay for your headgear. You don't have to worry about that. Do you know how to sign up? Come to this uh, classroom at the end of the day, and that's it, right? And we do that eight times a day the entire period. Uh, the first two periods, maybe we run the entire show. The third and fourth period, we say, all right, coach, you're going to help with the introductions and the closing. And the next two periods, we're going to say, all right, now you're going to run the whole thing. And now your team athletes are going to run and speak up too. And so now instead of me saying sports done for me, 
Uh, we have a, a senior captain who's talking about what the sport's done for them and what their goals are going forward and empowering not only the coach, but the athletes to learn how to recruit and how to speak about the sport and making it an engaging thing. So that way next year, I'm not paying an alumni or myself going out there to teach wrestling. The coach has already been equipped with what they need to. They understand the process. They understand the flow of events. And here's a couple of different like pieces. If something were to go wrong, I'm going to switch to this method. If something, uh, if the group's too large, maybe I switch to this method. And then now <laughs> they're on their own, right? right. Like, so it was helpful for us. Um, and it was simple, really. It was like setting the boundaries of like, okay, if you want us to come in and run this education day, you have to be there all day with us. And then you also need to have three to four athletes drop in each period. Mm -hmm. um, so there was only one because, you know, thus way their class schedule worked and that's fine. I can jump in, but the goal is that we have more kids engaged and we have more coaches engaged. And, uh, and the crazy thing to me about hearing you talk in the past about Beat the Streets, New York, I'm sure it's not that dissimilar from most big cities is the amount of schools that have dedicated wrestling rooms are almost zero, if not 100% zero. So there's not like, you know, like Tiny, yeah. when I was going to school <laughs> once in a while, some knuckleheads would look through the door at the wrestling room and they maybe would start wrestling because of that. But you don't have that, you know, in New York. No. There's no chance that you would just randomly walk into a wrestling room because there's no wrestling room. I, I've probably been to like five wrestling rooms in New York City. Most of them are strips of mat that are either put out in the cafeteria, in the gymnasium, on the stage, in the hallway, in classrooms. Like there's all kinds of dangerous obstacles, but these people are like, whatever, we're going to wrestle. And so I think that's kind of cool. Like the tenacity. I had a, the same wrestling room from the time I was a youth wrestler till I went to college, you mm -hmm. know? I never realized what that was. That to me was like a home base and they don't have that. Yeah. I think it's cool, like the way that they've adapted, but it also hurts because every year that wrestling room changes and there's no stability of like, I happen to walk through the cafeteria or I happen to walk through um, gymnasium and I miss it. Yeah. It's, um, it's just crazy to think what some wrestlers go through and like the coaches who are year in and year out doing that just rolling out the mats moving the cafeterias <laughs> picking up the french fries it's like lord they are just it's dedicated it's crazy absolutely crazy. the the hoops that people jump through and then new york city kids don't go to school based on their district they go to school based yeah. on they've been selected to go so they apply to 10 schools they get selected by one that's where they go to high school it could be an hour and a half away so school starts at seven. Some of them have a zero period. So that's 7 a.m. You have to be on the bus, you know, 530 in the morning to make sure that you get to school and then you go to your school practice and then you commute to beat the streets practice, which is probably an hour, hour and a half for most of their schools anyway. And so yeah. they practice five to seven with us and then they commute home. So it's like 830, nine o'clock by the time they get home. That's wild. That's like a full work day for an adult, let alone for a 14, 15, 16 year old kid. Yeah. I and mean, there's kids doing that all the time, which is just crazy. I mean, in Chicago, big city, but it's not as big as New York where, you know, they have that facility now and that on the South side, that's kind of a hub. They don't have one on the North side yet, but for New York to have a facility, you'd almost have to have one in each borough to make it close enough for someone to be able to get to. Right. Cause if you have one in the Bronx, you know, I don't know my New York geography, but that could be an hour and a half, two hours away from other parts of New York City, right? It's so hard. It, everything's so far. The issue is like, if you have one home location, everyone's commuting far. And it would almost have to be Manhattan, which it's in Roosevelt Island this year, um, which is basically Manhattan. 
but everyone's commuting there. But if we do borough specific, we don't have that many wrestlers in, in New York City. And so what, as a women's coach, while I was there, I was commuting to a different borough every day and running a girls practice. And I would go there and there would be three girls and they would all be <laughs> from the heaviest weight to the lightest oh. weight in between and I'm trying to wrestle I'm trying to coach trying to round it out I've got a Fargo All-American versus a day two girl (laughs) is like oh my lord win right there's no easy solution because everyone's commuting that's hard that's gonna take away from the amount of people who come to practice or you do the borough specific and then you miss out on matchups of our best people wrestling each other or a mismatch of weight and experience and it's hard it's really hard we started running uh, leveled practices and so we would do Sundays were gender specific and age group specific. So there would be a girls practice and a boys practice and a junior league practice, which is our K through eight programming. And then on school nights, it would be level one and two practice, then a level two and three. And so it would be a three hour time block that we were here running practices, but there would be two different shifts and the level two kids could float. And we spent a lot of time teaching them. I'm a level one. I'm here for recreational. I'm learning the sport. Uh, level two, I have high goals. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, there's going to be bumps on the road. I don't care if you're winning all your matches or losing all your matches. It's about what your goals are and the time commitment that you're willing to put in. Um, so the level two can flow up to level three and they can stay with level one. It's their choice. And then the level three girls and boys are the ones who are pursuing state, uh, regional and national kind of goals in our higher tier of, of commitment, but also our higher tier of like, instead of teaching a technique with games, maybe we do a lot more sparring. Maybe we do a little bit more live. Yeah. And focusing it that way. Just a unique set of problems. And I love the creativity of how, how you and uh, is Brendan Buckley still running, running things out yes. there? Yep. Brendan's our awesome. executive director. Love that guy. He's uh, one of like the original, this would be like episode 316. He might've been episode like two or three. I have to go back and look, but he was one of the original ones. I had a business trip in. he is an OG. I had a a business trip in New York and I came in early. I went to Philly to interview Buxton. I interviewed Jesse Jansen in Manhattan. And then I went to see Brendan Buckley. And so those were like the first three episodes of this podcast. Um, So crazy. As we wind down, I, you know, I don't always ask this question, but with you, I'd love to, how did wrestling change your life? Or what do you tell the kids when they ask you, uh, coach Randall, why would I wrestle? What, what, what did it do for you? Uh, for me, it's, it's <laughs> everything that I do. You know, um, I grew up in a small town, not everyone made it out of the small town. Um, my own siblings, um, not, they haven't always had the most success, right? One dropped out of high school. One's been in and out of jail, uh, is a recovering addict, right? And for me, had I stayed in that small town, I would imagine that I would have been in my own trap, right? And maybe I would have succeeded, um, but I would probably would have done something to like put myself in a situation where I would have had to work a lot harder to get to success. Um, so wrestling afforded me the opportunity to get out. It afforded me the opportunity to get an education, uh, my undergrad and my master's, uh, to see the world, I've been to 20 plus countries. Uh, it reminded me the purpose of life, um, whether I'm in it for the outcome or am I in it for the process. And, and that's been instrumental to my personal growth and the way that I view the world and what I want to manifest and change. Um, and then it's it's given me a career. <laughs> it's given me friends. Um, honestly, there's not a thing in my life that sport hasn't touched. Uh, what Wrestling changed my life, definitely sport and, and access to health and, and 
education through that has empowered me to be an entrepreneur, to be a coach, to be a teacher. So basically yeah. in my life. Pretty amazing. And shout out to your parents and whatever coach you were working with at a young age. Cause yeah, I would think that, you know, back then, were you like the only girl on your team at that time in Ohio, yeah. small town, Ohio? Yeah. I didn't have another female on our team at all uh, until I went to college. Um, wow. Wrestling women in high school. Um, but I, I did, we had a great community of like youth coaches who happened to have kids that were my age. They followed me up and protected me. I still talk to them all the time. I'm super grateful I, for my wrestling coaches. I'm super grateful. I, I did tennis track wrestling and basketball. I think I learned stuff from all of those different sports. I even did rodeo for a bit. Um, Let's go. I think, I think all of them, you know, have shaped me and taught me different things. And I think it's just, uh, you know, part of my coaching philosophy is I don't care if you stay in the sport of wrestling, I care about where you go. Right. And I think it's the same thing. If you find another sport, you find another hobby, you find an education or a job that's taking you somewhere. I want to support you through all of those things. And, um, you know, there's pieces of my coaching <laughs> that are like things that I've picked up from my track coach from junior high. Right. Like there's things that like trickle out and like sayings that my college coach used to say to me, he always used to say, spread out one grenade will get everybody. So, basically every practice after the warm-up spread out everyone's gonna get everything <laughs> done by now uh you know just i think that's cool i hope I, they they have little sayings that remind them of the stupid stuff that i used to say to them <laughs> oh i'm sure and I, I love that you're you're not one of those people where it's like it's wrestling or nothing like you know it, all sport is good and any activity is good i just want kids to find something that they love whether it's playing the flute or mountain climbing i don't know i just there's nothing that breaks my heart more than meeting someone or a kid and they, uh, not so much a kid, but meeting an adult there, they don't really know what they love. And, uh, it's just scary, you know, it gives me the heebie jeebies because, uh, that's, you know, what you love is all you think about. So crazy, you know, and, uh, you're a brush of fresh air, fresh of fresh air for the wrestling world. And, um, I'm just so excited to have the connection to have you on the podcast. Coach Randall, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I've loved chatting with you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Special thanks to Mike Powell for the introduction. Mike's <laughs> <laughs> a great guy, for sure. Awesome. Well, you have a great day, Emma. Thank you. Uh, you too. Thank you so much, Ryan. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. We're proudly presented by Spartan Combat. Compete at the Spartan Combat Nationals taking place this April 8th through the 10th. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. To stay up to date with the show, you can go to our website where we post all past episodes, WrestlingChangeMyLife.com, or follow us on Instagram, at WrestlingChangeMyLife. And that's it, folks. We bid you adieu. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.